Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. As a new mother, do you feel overwhelmed, depressed, and alone. Society puts so much pressure on mums to be superwomen and on top of that, look after themselves and be contributed to the household. On today's episode, I have a very special guest, Bethany Jettis, who is here to speak about her own story with motherhood, grief and loss, and much more. The What's Eating You podcast is a series of mental health topics that are designed to make you think, learn, educate, and validate. Enjoy the show. Bethany, thank you so much for coming on today's show. Absolutely loved our last episode. And in talking about that, we found some really interesting stuff about you, which I think so many people are going to want to know more about and connect with. So I'm really excited to have you here to speak on the topic of postnatal depression, grief and loss, and having to manage it all. So give a little brief introduction and yeah, let's get into today's episode of What's Eating You. Yeah, thank you. Um, so basically, I kind of started my journey. Um, I was a nurse working in a diet and health clinic. I did that for five years. And then I decided to, to have my boys. So my first son was actually probably it was the biggest shock and change, I think, for me um, being a mom. So, uh, he was born 2013 and a very, very colicky baby. Like I, I didn't even realize like how bad I guess colicky babies can get, but, um, I had the premium package of colic. So, um, I ended up having really bad postnatal depression, um, with him. And I don't even think I realized it for like the first six to nine months. And it was pointed out to me. Um, and I ended up getting help for that. And was kind of scared to have my second baby, but I ended up kind of powering through and had my second son and it completely changed. I just felt like a more relaxed mom. I had a completely different experience. He was a very chill baby. And um, yeah, it was just a completely different process. And then kind of with all that in, in my personal life, um, once my boys were a little bit older, they were five, uh, five years old and three years old, I lost my husband, um, their dad 
Uh, he had passed away in October 2018. So I was actually left a young widow with two little boys on my hands. Gosh, Bethany, I'm so sorry to hear about your mm-hmm. loss. And I can't imagine what that would have been like for you. Tell us a little bit more, going back to, for those who don't know, can you just tell us a bit more about what a colicky baby is and how mm-hmm. that sort of impacted you? I guess they kind of define colicky babies as like they consistently cry. I think it's like the majority of the day um, and you can't console them and there's actually nothing medically wrong with them. So it's kind of hard because you take them to the doctor quite often and say like, oh, they're, you know, refluxing. They're getting like, you know, spit up like too much uh, coming out. And both of my sons had that same issue, but my second child had no problem with it. So I couldn't exactly put it to that. Um, I got told it was sort of like just gas that they get upset with, but I also noticed it's kind of their personalities. Like one is like my eldest, he's super intense, very a type, um, and just knows what he wants right away. And that was how he was as a baby. It was like a 40 year old came out in this baby that was like, right, I want all this stuff and can't do anything for myself. So hop to it woman. (laughs) And that was sort of like, you know, he kind of came across as pretty demanding as I like didn't realize that was what a new mom um, felt like. And it was probably the women around me, like my, my mother-in-law, my mother, that was kind of like, I think you have a colicky baby on your hands. And I was probably a bit denial at first and wasn't really sure. I thought, well, maybe this is just me. And I I thought it was just, maybe I didn't know what I was doing because, but yeah, it really affects, I think, mental health for moms because they feel like a lot of people just give the baby back to them, like, cause when it cries when somebody else holds them. So colic is, is kind of a hard one because there's no real like definition or they don't really have any understanding of, of what it is. It's just a baby that continually cries for, and it's like three, more than three months. I think mine was like nine months. <laughs> wow. Wow. And you didn't even know six to nine months in that you were struggling with postpartum depression. Yeah. How did you know and what were the symptoms for you? Because what I've learned is sleep deprivation, the symptoms mimic postnatal depression. So a lot of women think they're sleep deprived, which they probably are, but will, I guess, write off or not even know it's postpartum depression because they think it's just sleep deprivation. Yeah, there's a couple of things. So I didn't have really any experience to go off. So I kind of thought to myself, like, well, I'm sleep deprived. Everyone keeps telling me there's so much lack of sleep when you're a new mom. But I'm talking like he was waking up every two hours to feed. And literally I'd go to sleep, like almost catnap, not properly get into a deep sleep. I literally catnap and like be kind of waiting to hear him cry again. And it was almost like I was hearing uh, phantom crying. So phantom crying is where you think you're they're crying and you go in their room and they're like fast asleep. And you're kind of hearing it and you're like, what the, like, I thought they were awake. That's weird. And you go back to bed and you're kind of like anxious and stressed already. And then you kind of settle into this like sleep and then they wake up again. And it's like this all night. And then you, you're kind of like on edge, right? Cause you're like, I haven't slept. Like you feel like you're just travel sleeping where, you know, you've, you've missed a few flights and you've gone through a few time zones and you're kind of a bit delirious so that's the first thing. And and everyone else around you is sort of a bit like they seem well rested, right? So that's where the resentment kicks in, right? The baby seems rested, even though like they didn't sleep all night, but they decide to sleep during the day when you've got things to do. Um, and then your partner's 
you know, somewhat rested more than you are. Right. So, um, there's a, a little lingering of anger, I think for some women, the other aspect is the thoughts that are going on in your head for postnatal depression too, is kind of, it lingers past, I'd say the baby blues, the baby blues are like right after you have a baby, which is quite natural when your hormones have come down really quickly. Um, a lot of women are crying and, you know, um, sweating to death at nighttime because all the hormones are coming out. Right. Um, and you're kind of like, why did I do this? And then you go back to sort of like your normal self and you're like, oh, okay, I love my baby. Right. But when you get to postnatal depression and you're starting to realize something's amiss, what I noticed was that I, 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 I could see that like when I was out in public, it looked like everyone else had it easier. Like my baby would constantly cry. I'd pick him up. He'd barf all over me. I'd be covered in his sick. <laughs> and it was not a little bit. It was a lot. Right. And I'd have to like rechange him, rechange my clothes. And he'd be crying and screaming and everybody else would sort of like, if I was in a mommy group, they would have their babies just like sitting quietly. And I'd be like, what is going on? Like, how, how is he not kind of acting the same? Like I'd have him on my lap and he'd be kind of wrenching as if he had gut pain or gas or what it was. And most of the other babies would just fall asleep. So I was like, I, I don't understand what this is. Like, um, and I left a few times, like a few mommy dates. I remember going on in tears because I went to, I think like a, a mommy and me, like a movie theater. And he was the only one out the whole theater, like crying. Mm -hmm. And I was standing up, like pacing the theater with him, trying to keep him quiet. And all these other babies would breastfeed or their moms would be feeding them formula and they'd fall asleep or just, you know, have a small burp and they'd be fine. And my baby was like writhing, just like pulling at my hair, not happy with me. And I'm like, I just ended up leaving mm. because I thought I can enjoy myself. No one else can sit through him crying. So it was like things like that. And I started because of those instances, I started to socially, um, isolate myself not knowing and that's where I think at the time my husband picked up on it and was like hey at the six month mark about you haven't been going out very much like you're kind of at the house all the time and you used to go out and I was like but it brought more anxiety for me to take him out yeah. so it was just the hassle like in my mind it was like well I'm gonna get puked on people are gonna stare at me he screams so loud like literally you could break glass so like people are kind of looking at you and giving you this the death stairs. Right. So you're kind of almost like anxious to go out now. Yeah. So it started to make me recluse and I was a very outgoing person. So that's kind of what I knew. Um, something was amiss and that I wasn't really connecting the dots. And I think it was about the nine month. It was just the perpetual getting up in the middle of the night. And I think what I ended up doing my breaking point, I think I was in the middle of the night. I had had no sleep. I think I was crying. Um, and I went on my computer and I started to like research like postpartum depression or like places to go or something. And I found a mom's group. Um, and this was 2013. So it wasn't um, like what people have to go through now where they were pretty isolated already. But um, I ended up going to this mom's group where women were going through the exact same thing as me. And it was the first time I sat in a group with other women with babies and they were saying the exact same things that were on my mind. Whereas like, I realized when I was talking with other women that hadn't experienced postpartum depression or a colicky baby, mm. um, it was like, Oh, this is the happiest time of my life. And it's like that social media thing we talked about where basically you feel like everyone else has it together, 
and you're kind of falling apart and you're like, I don't understand what's going on here. Right. So that's kind of where I started to sort of see postpartum kick in. Yes. And I like that you normalized baby blues are completely normal. Obviously you're going through hormonal changes. You have carried this baby for nine months and it's almost like you're preparing for some sort of big event or big competition. You can always feel a bit low after it. So I think highlighting that that's okay. But usually Mm -hmm. when would the baby blues subside? Maybe a couple of weeks? Yeah, I think they typically say, I think it's like a four week mark typically, but again, everyone's different, but pretty normal in the first few weeks, like you're trying to sort of like everything's changed, your schedule changed, like the baby is number one priority, especially with your first, like you're just kind of a little bit out of sorts because a lot of people don't know what, don't know what they're doing. Right. Um, but that's typically normal and it's usually more weepy. Like it's kind of, you're more in a sad, like you, you can just tell it's like your, your emotions feel a lot heightened. So you're kind of more of like in this, um, let down sort of feeling, but that goes inside and coincides with also your milk coming in and things like that. Right. So hormones. Yeah. Okay. So First of all, I can't imagine how challenging that would have been to be in public and have people stare and your baby is unwell and just that, it sounds so stressful. I can understand why you'd be hesitant to go out and just want to recluse, but it sounds like you noticed there was quite a shift from who you used to be to who you were becoming. And I think that's a really key indicator that something's not okay. And for anyone wondering what is peripartum, postpartum depression It is essentially depression or feeling sad or having a depressed mood following delivery of a baby. And to meet the criteria, there is a certain set of symptoms that happen four weeks after delivery. So I might just mention a couple of these for anyone listening. So on top of feeling sad and having a depressed mood, there is a loss of interest or pleasure in activities you used to enjoy. So if you liked going to the movies and then you stopped going or you stopped seeing your friends, changes in appetite trouble sleeping or sleeping too much, loss of energy or increased fatigue, um, feeling worthless or guilty. And you mentioned resentment. I think that's a really key emotion as well that not a lot of people talk about. Uh, Difficulty thinking, concentrating or making decisions, thoughts of death or suicide, crying for no reason, lack of interest in the baby or not feeling bonded to the baby or feeling very anxious about the baby feelings of being a bad mother and fear of harming the baby or one oneself. And again, a lot of these sound like sleep deprivation. So it's so important to get checked or research on the internet, just like you did, Bethany, if you are or someone you know is experiencing this, because I feel it's so normalized. Oh, you know, yes, yeah, sleep depri- deprivation is normal or yeah, anxiety is normal. I feel people around you probably be overly supportive and normalizing of what is experienced. Yeah. It's interesting because as you say that, like I didn't see it for myself because again, a lot of those symptoms you just sort of mentioned overlap with being a new parent, lacking sleep, you know, feeling all these feelings. Um, and you're kind of like, but I feel like that, but, um, like you kind of question it. 
Mm. Um, the biggest telltale I think is the people around you that start to notice. And it's even funny because now I have friends now that look back and my kids are older and they're like, I remember, yeah, when you, like, I remember I came over this day and you were just kind of like trying to keep it together and you could just see you were like in survival mode. I'm like, was it that bad? Like, you know what I mean? But people around you notice you're different or they think, my God, like this is a stressful situation. Like I'd be feeling this way too. So yeah, like it's people around you, I think that are more so the mirrors to help you see that. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And what helped you get out of the postpartum depression? Um, it was probably the group because it normalized it for me. I realized I felt so like alien almost. Um, I was probably, I wasn't living in the best area. I was living in an area where the majority of people that were around me were probably 60 year old plus. Mm. And I'm like this new mom, there's no little kids around. I wasn't part of sort of like a mommy, like I was a little bit a part of a mommy group, but it made me feel worse because, um, they all seem to have a, like an easier time, like I said, and I wasn't, I didn't feel like I fit in. It was really strange. Um, and I think what sort of helped was the, the group, because when I got in there and I started to hear like people's deep, dark thoughts about like what they were thinking, but would never do. Mm. I was like, Oh my goodness. Like everyone else thinks this too. Like, is this, is this part of it? Like, I don't, I don't get it. And it's, um, there's, there is a point. So there's postpartum blues, there's postpartum depression, and then there's psychosis and psychosis is very dangerous. And that is where women have harmed their children or harmed themselves. So there is a difference. Um, definitely women that are in psychosis need like medical assistance, like right away. And you can usually find that out if they're saying something or kind of, um, they're, they're not, they're kind of abandoning their baby a lot more than you, you would expect a mom to be like, they're very almost like disengaged. Yeah. So that's something to look out for, for people. But yeah. the group I was dealing with, they were definitely in, um, postpartum. And a lot of them were sort of telling about being on like antidepressants and things like that. I never was myself, mm. but sort of was curious, I guess, to understand like, well, is it a serotonin and um, dopamine thing that actually helps with, um, like your mood. But for me, it was more so a psychological thing. So, um, because I exercised all through my pregnancy, all through sort of like when he was little, um, and ate really well, I was pretty good at sort of, um, keeping myself out of, I'd say like a body type of depression where I wasn't laying in bed or I wasn't overeating or anything like that. So I could, I was kind of helping myself in that aspect, but psychologically, like my, it was that connection. My brain wasn't connecting properly with how healthy I actually like looked. My brain was sort of like, Oh, I don't feel very happy. I don't know why. Mm. Um, and it was that feeling of disconnection. I think that I didn't feel like I fit in. Um, and I think it normalized and really helped me because then I could voice actually what was going on. Yes. Whereas I felt in general, I couldn't really say things to people because I kind of got like a side eye. Mm. And that's where you start to hide yourself, right? Where you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Um, and you want people to be okay with you sort of like voicing what's going on. Yes. Because it can be a very judgmental space motherhood so I'm really Mm -hmm. glad that you found a group that were 
open and normalize what you were experiencing and you felt safe to talk about what you were really thinking and, and feeling. So that's really nice to know that right. groups, groups can be so effective. And then Bethany, on top of that, you then experienced the grief, the loss of your husband and partner. And again, I cannot imagine what that has been like for you. But if you don't mind, could you share a little bit more on that and and how it's impacted you? I think because I went through postpartum before, I knew how low I felt. And I think it was sort of that when I had lost my husband, it was like, I don't want to go back there again, right? Like, I don't want to be, because I can't, like, I don't have really that choice to do that and and not be there for my boys, right? So um, it was sudden and unexpected. And it left a huge, I'd say, mess for the rest of everybody else behind. And it's hard because you're sort of in shock for like months at a time. And you're trying to sort of pick up the pieces to almost have someone come along and smash them all open again. And then you're, you know, that's what grief is really. It's like waves, it's waves of um, sadness, anger, everything, right? Like, and Um, My boys were so little that they don't remember a lot, but I still have to deal with them day to day um, in terms of sort of how they feel. And I've had a lot of counseling for them and for myself. And I've worked probably the hardest on myself that I ever have psychologically in the last five years. And I think that's probably what's helped me become the person I am today and the leader in my life. And that's pretty much why I teach Um, these leadership and and mental health skills to my clients as well. Because if you have that, like I said before, the identity, you can do pretty much anything. So um, out of something really dramatic and disastrous to a lot of people, it's given, I'd say it's given us a new way of life and um, a new chance at life. And it's, when you've gone through something pretty severe like that, whether it's the loss of somebody or, um, you know, near, near death experience people have been through, it's like, you kind of have this make or break point where you're like, you know, um, you have a decision to make. And my decision, I think in that moment was I choose happiness. Like I can't Mm -hmm. choose the other way because they're going to lose another parent, whether that's, you know, um, mentally. Right. So to me, I think that was my driving force was like, I'm going to get myself through this no matter what I do. And yeah, it's going to be difficult. And it's always two steps forward, one step back. And it's never a linear path for people, right? But um, if I can sort of give encouragement to people, like a lot of people say to me, like, I don't know how you kind of got through that. It was, it was hard. I'm not going to lie. Like, um, it's, it was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to go through in my life, but it's changed the way I think in a positive way. And I'm more grateful and appreciative of what I have. And I look at my boys and I'm like, you guys are the gift that have been, you know, that I have here. So, and I see it that way. Yeah. Wow. I've got, I've got goosebumps as you're talking. How long, how old were your sons when you're partner passed away um my youngest was three years old and my oldest was five so my my eldest remembers a lot more and he, um, mm-hmm. they are now eight and nine years old so they are very close in age um they don't have a ton of memory 
And it was really close to sort of when he passed. So unfortunately, they don't have a lot to kind of go off. Um, I made them different things like memory boxes and things like that. So they can have momentums and stuff. But um, it every year it's different because with children, children are delayed typically in grief by six months. So you're, and they, yeah, and they deal with it differently than adults. Like they'll kind of say something shocking out of the blue and then they'll be like, I'm going to go play with my toy. And you're like, what? And that's just how they deal with it. Like they don't sit there and stew on it like adults do. Um, and it's more so questions and you have to be very age appropriate with them, obviously. Um, and, you know, obviously keep it honest, but don't give too much information that you're going to scare, the, you know, scare them. Right. That's a really good point to, to say. And I really liked what you said. It made you more grateful because I think so everyone talks yeah. about gratitude and be grateful and we all know that, but through something like that, I think it really changes your perspective long-term because, you know, mm-hmm. everyone from day to day can be frustrated at little things or make comments or complain, but gosh, imagine, imagine going through what you've been through. I imagine it's massively changed the way you think or yeah, altered mm-hmm. the way <clears throat> it has. Yeah. That's huge. And then how people respond to grief. I think what you said was really good that it comes in waves. There's the anger, there's the sadness, there's the different emotions. Do you think we ever stop grieving? Because there's a lot of belief around, oh, you know, time heals all wounds or when you grieve too long, then there's a problem. But I really believe we never stop in a way, like it just changes. What do you think? My experience. when they say time heals, the reason time heals is because the grief waves, they're so intense in the beginning, they're coming up and down, like almost like hour to hour. And then it goes day to day. And then it goes week to week and month to month. And then there's still times like it's been five years this year for me. There's still moments that will trip me up. There's moments that trip my kids up. And to say that like, it never affects you, or it doesn't have an impact on like your next relationship or the the family members around you or boundaries, like you have to learn all these things. It's like a, just a new way of life. It's like a new creation of your life. So grief, um, I think you'll always miss people for sure. Um, I think you come to more of an understanding. I'd say it never, it never goes away, but it's a, again, it's, um, it's a continual journey and a continual process. And there's times where you need to check in and not ignore it. Right. Yeah. You got to feel it to yeah. start to heal it essentially. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to note that grief does affect children differently and how they handle it. And I love that you said you've got to be age appropriate. And if, if you're unsure, if you're listening to this or, you know, you can speak to a professional and a professional can also help you with those conversations. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we didn't really start with any child sort of, um, counseling for like probably six, almost like, I think it was like a year in because I didn't notice anything. But then what you don't realize is children don't grieve like adults. They don't sit and talk about it. It, it comes out in behavior. Um, and what's something that we noticed, I'd say in the first year that there was regression. Mm. So, you know, they're past the age of like, um, soiling themselves. 
and then they do it. And you're like, where did that come from? You're potty trained, like, and things like that, or waking up in the night, but they don't know why. And it's a continual issue. It's that's usually how like children kind of end up having it, or they'll say something kind of randomly. Like that was a little bit hard because my eldest, when we first, when it first happened, um, we would go out in public and literally we'd be at a restaurant and he would announce it to the waitress. Like the first time she comes to the table and it'd be like, and they kind of look at you and like, you're like, yeah, that happened, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's kind of like, they're trying to sort of like, well, I don't know what to do with this, but I'll just like tell a, I'll tell a stranger. And it was happening quite often. So I had to have a few side talks with him. Like, you know, I know you want to talk about it, but maybe not to like random people that don't know us, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? So it's kind of like, again, you're trying to sort of, you don't want them to like hold it in either, but it's, it's hard because you're, you're out with your in-laws or something like that. And, and you know, your, your children are kind of saying stuff and you want to make sure that you're kind of being um, sensitive to everybody's needs. Yeah, for sure. I think it's really great that you mm-hmm. let them speak, but then maybe just have a side chat about, yeah, mm-hmm. time and place, et cetera. Wow. And I guess just on the topic of, of children as well, and um, being a new mom or having young kids and essentially doing it, you know, on your own, is there any advice you would give to mums or women who may have those moments of resentment or self-doubt or feel they're not doing a good enough job or they're a bad mum? Because I think those are universal beliefs that many mums have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't easy, definitely being a single mom. Um, that was probably the majority of the stress I would say, because you're still, um, on, you're still on with everything. And then you have the finances on top of you after that. Mm. So if you're a stay at home mom and all of a sudden you become divorced, divorced or single, um, or a widow, it's kind of just, uh, it's a lot on your plate. So I think reaching out and trying to get as much help as you possibly can in any direction, whether that's like getting funding for yourself and your kids, um, getting help with grandparents or relatives or friends if they're around. Um, Because again, you're going to be limited sort of in maybe um, your resources um, in terms of like cash and stuff if you are on your own. Um, And just like giving yourself that grace because I, what I did was I, I knew I needed, like, I'm somebody that I enjoy. I enjoy being around lots of people, but I also enjoy my space. Mm. So when I had the boys and I was on my own all the time with them, I kind of gave myself that grace of like a half an hour in the afternoon. I'd like just close my bedroom door. I'm like, they're okay. They're fine. They can just like play together. Um, and it was like, I just tuned out for like, just from my mental health, because I noticed if I went from one thing to the other, like I'd been out with them or I'm running errands and then, um, coming home and working or anything like that. And then it was like making dinner that resentment builds and builds and builds. Right. And then you get to dinner and you're kind of just like, I'm so exhausted. You need to give yourself a bit of that grace, whether it's just go have a shower for like 10 minutes or something. And, um, just let them play. Um, obviously if they're young, make sure they're safe somewhere that is obviously like, they're not going to run off or anything like that, but you need to give yourself that time and space because like, there's no break. There's no break in your day. It's not like, okay, whistle blows. Like I go home now and these kids go somewhere else. Like they're with you all the time. And I think that was probably 
one of the harder things because you never get that reprieve, right? Yeah, and I love that term, give yourself grace. Even if it's a 10-minute shower, 30 minutes on your own, it is so important. And I tell people it's not a cost, it's an investment because it's going to invest in you being a more present mom or, you know, a more happy mom. And when mom's happy, everyone's happy. So yeah, I think that's such an important point to make. And if you have been listening to this and you're thinking I need to self-care or, you know, I could really do with some tips around my own well-being and health and nutrition, make sure you check Bethany out. She's a certified holistic nutritional consultant and she helps families, parents, everyone get on top of their nutrition. She also has a lot of own life experience. So Bethany, thank you so much for today. Your story is honestly very inspiring and I think will help a lot of people. Where can people find you if they want to work with you or get in touch? Yeah, no worries. Thanks so much for having me. Um, Website is www.ndelish.com and uh, everything's on there from family meal plans to consulting to um, individual meal plans. So yeah. Thank you so much. And everyone listening, if you enjoyed this episode, please let us know, reach out, take a screenshot, tag us on Instagram, and we will see you in the next episode on the What's Eating You podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinarian developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.